God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming again this week. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and the promises that He has for you in His unfailing Word. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11? That's where we're going to be today, and we'll also bring those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. You know, today we're continuing in our Beginnings series in the book of Beginnings, the book of Genesis. Asephah Bereshit. And today I'd like to talk to you about building towers. Building towers. You know, today people try to make a name for themselves and they try to impress other people and they try to elevate themselves so that other people will either give them money or give them authority, somehow serve them. Some do this for fame, others for power, others, like we said, just for the money. And some have big egos that they're trying to feed. They're really impressed with themselves. I think it was Clint Eastwood said that they're a legend in their own mind. Well, they're trying to feed those egos. They've got pride in their hearts. And for other self-centered reasons, they try to build themselves up in front of other people. In the end, they mistakenly think that these temporary things will somehow make them happy. But you know and I know that true peace and happiness in life is not about how much money you have. It's not about how many possessions you own or how many followers you have on social media. No, true peace and happiness in life is only found in God. He's the one who made you. He knows what's inside you. And He's the only one who knows what your heart truly needs for any given day, any given moment of that day, any time of your life. And people will never really find true fulfillment and happiness in life until they turn to Him. That's what our chapter today says in Genesis chapter 11. We're only going to cover the first nine verses. Then we'll handle part two of this chapter and finish it up next week as well. But this is a separate subject and a separate message in itself in these first nine verses. I also want to say today that I'm indebted to my good friend, Pastor David Guzik, for his insight on the book of Genesis and other books in the Bible. I use his materials a lot, and he's a good friend, and what a humble man of God and a great teacher of the Bible. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 11 together, shall we? Beginning at verse 1 in Genesis 11, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Verse 3 continues, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. Remember, asphalt was used in the building of the ark to seal it against the water. Verse 4 continues, and it says, And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top is all the way in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now let's stop there for a moment. Let's talk about those verses first before we continue. It said, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. 
that's easy to think about because we know that civilization came from Adam and Eve. And it couldn't have come from Adam and Steve, as we said earlier. It's got to have a male and a female. That's the way God designed it from the beginning. And that was what God had originally intended for marriage and for companionship and to reproduce in life. It just doesn't happen any other way. So the whole earth had one language that really came eventually all the way back, if you research it, back from Adam and Eve. And if you accept that mankind had that common origin in Adam, which I do, and we do because the Bible says it's true, and the Bible's always right. It's always been proven to be right. Well, this simply makes sense then. There was a time when all of humanity that existed, and there wasn't a whole lot of people there at that time, but still quite a few considering they were that close to the beginning of time. And there was a lot of humanity there, and they only spoke one language instead of the hundreds of languages that are in the earth today. Now, the land of Shinar, that it said that they settled in this plain in Shinar, Shinar was a term used also of Babylon in Genesis 10.10. We studied that last week and the week before. Remember, that was talking about where Nimrod, that man who vaulted himself and exalted himself against God and told people that they didn't need God, that they would just need him and he would take care of them. Well, Nimrod became a great ruler, it said, and a mighty man. But he said that he was before the eyes of the Lord. And that meant that he was, he was bold and proud and boasting before the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't a good thing is what the Hebrew implied in when it was talking about Nimrod. But it also said in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10, that he was the one that started Babylon. He was the one that started Babel, or Babel as we would say it in English. The multiplied descendants from the ark, after they multiplied from the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they came together to build this great city and a great tower in rebellion against God. Why was it in rebellion against God? Because it was in rebellion against God's command to spread out all over the earth and multiply and fill the earth. That's what God had told them to do in Genesis 9-1. But here they are trying to stay together with their friends. Have you ever noticed that when you get out of high school, some people go to college not to get a job or to learn how to do things. They go to college because they're used to being around all their friends and the people that they know. And they're afraid of life. They're afraid to get out there and try to do something for themselves. So they try to use college sometimes as simply an extension of high school to still hang around your friends and everything. It's sad because many of those people never know anything that will get them a job, never learn anything that will get them a job. And universities today are not teaching people like they used to. They would teach me in engineering and computer science, computer design, and nowadays they teach like, you know, white male toxicity and, you know, basket weaving, all these useless things that they can't get a job with. And even when they say they have a bachelor's in science, many times you'll find out has nothing to do with science. They have a bachelor's in political science. They're learning how to be politicians. Schools don't teach people like they used to. And they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and get in debt for all these years with student loans and have nothing to show for it. They can't get a job. 
And so they end up staying in school, have a professional academia career, if you will, and staying at home in mom's basement for years and years and years sometimes. And it's sad because an entire generation of people is growing up not knowing how to make a living for themselves and help other people as well as themselves. But these people probably had a little bit of that attitude because they said, look, we're all t traveling together everywhere we go. It's kind of like a flock of pigeons. You know, the pigeon in the front turns left real quickly and all the others turn left and follow him. One turns right again and all the others follow him and turn right. It's sad because people are like that too. And these people were no different. They were wandering through this plain of Shinar and then some of them said, hey, we're all together. Let's build a city for ourselves. Let's make a tower. We know that God destroyed the earth before in a flood. And we know that he's telling us to scatter out all over the earth and reproduce and fill the earth and multiply and fill the earth. But we don't want to do that. We want to hang out with our friends. We want to stay with the people that we know. That's a safe thing to do, isn't it? That's a thing that you really want to do, isn't it? And so they wanted to hang out together and stay together. And then even what they said was, let's do this and build this city, build this tower together so that we make a name for ourselves and we're not scattered all over the earth. Now, when they made this tower, it said that they used bricks and made bricks, baked them thoroughly to where they were hardened in a kiln and they were heated in an oven. And then they had asphalt for martyr from the earth. And they used and baked these bricks and used the mortar to build the tower with. That way that tower would be both strong and they could build it really tall and high, really wide and big. And they could also make it waterproof from the asphalt. Because that's the same thing Noah had used in waterproofing the ark in between the timbers of wood that he had put there. He used the asphalt and the tar, if you will, to put it there and waterproof the ark. And that lasted against all those rough seas that covered the earth. Noah used that same material in waterproofing the ark. And then later in Exodus 2, verse 3, even Moses' mother used the same material in waterproofing Moses' basket as she took her son whom the Egyptians wanted her to kill since he was a firstborn. And she put him in this basket and, and put it uh, surrounded with tar and asphalt to where it wouldn't leak and wouldn't sink in the water. And she floated it down the river. And then she saw, one of the, one of the uh, girls saw that it ended up being taken out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, remember. So it was the same technology, if you will, that they used then and that was used in Genesis 6 in the construction of the ark. Now, archaeology has revealed that this kind of kiln-fired brick and asphalt construction was common in ancient Babylon. In fact, the same ceramic technology is still used in high-tech high things today. Things like jet turbine blades and other high precision applications. Being an engineering and a designer and everything, working with this stuff for years, I can tell you that ceramics is very, very strong. 
Ceramics are also very high precision. They don't expand much with heat or contract much with cold, so they keep their tolerances, which can be very, very close, such as in jet turbine construction as they're spinning around at very, very fast rates. They can keep those in high precision. And even today, ceramics, which is just fired clay, if you will, is really a high-tech, high-precision material. It's very, very strong. Now, the people had said, come let us build a city for ourselves. The heart and the materials relative to the Tower of, of Babel show that it was not only disobedient to God's command to fill the earth, as he gave in Genesis 9, verse 1. But it also shows that man did not believe God's promise to never flood the earth again. That's why they tried to make the tower waterproof. And even though it was going to go high, they still tried to put those bricks together with asphalt. They didn't need to do that, but they used that thinking that that would protect them from a future flood. So they didn't believe that God had said they didn't believe God's promise that he wouldn't destroy the world again through a flood. Now, this was a strong statement about the self-will of this people against God. When they said, let us build a city, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower whose top reaches into the heavens, that's exactly what they meant. They wanted a city where they could stay together. They figured there was strength in numbers. And if God tried to force them to leave, he wouldn't be able to force all of them to leave. Think about that now for a moment. Here's the God who just destroyed all life on earth. And now they think they're going to be able to withstand God. And they're trying to exalt themselves against God. So they said, let's build a city and let's make its tower with a top in the heavens. And that's exactly what they meant. A tower whose top is in the heavens. Now, the top of the tower was intended to be in the heavens, as they said. It's doubtful, though, that they thought that they were really building a tower to heaven. It's more likely that they built the tower as a, a place where they could view the heavens. We know today that the Chaldeans, Ur of the Chaldeans and the area around Babylon and the plain of Shinar where Babel would have been was the birthplace of many things like astrology and occult practices, things that are totally against God, things that look at the stars and the heavens to try to tell them what their life is all about. Now, keep in mind, astrology is not astronomy. Astronomy is the real science where scientists use large telescopes to study the heavens and see how things are put together. It has nothing to do with the signs of the zodiac. But astrology is this mythical misunderstanding and occult practice that people try to read what's going to happen in their lives based on the position of the stars. And other people try to read the palms of hands. Those things are not of God, nor are they approved of God. In fact, they are condemned by God. And people who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. The scripture teaches that people who practice those things and do not seek God instead will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you really want to build a tower to reach heaven, they wouldn't have done it the way that they did on the plain of Shinar because the plain of Shinar is about sea level and altitude. 
I mean, think about it. They were surrounded by mountains. They could have pointed to that big mountain if they really wanted to build a tower all the way up to the heaven as, as high as they could. It wasn't about observing the skies, but it was about trying to build their way into heaven. That's another message for another time right there. But they would not have started on the plain of Shinar. They'd go up to that tall mountain over there to their side and where, where it started at 3,000 feet high and start building their tower there. That way they'd have a head start of 3,000 feet, about a kilometer or so in height. And so you look at this and, and common sense says that they would use the mountain if they really wanted to build it all the way to heaven. Uh, the tower was real, and this is not a myth. In fact, the ancient Greek historian Herodotus even said in his writings that the Tower of Babel still stood in his day and even that he had seen it. But there's a message in these verses today as well. And it's what I started out with in our introduction. People today still strive to build a name for themselves. They seek to build themselves up above other people where they have a high opinion of themselves. and They look down at other people as somehow, as somehow inferior, not as educated, somehow lower than themselves, and they think of themselves more highly than they should. They're legends in their own mind. And that can be true of politicians, some rabbis, some pastors as well, celebrities, just about anybody. In fact, most people go around comparing themselves to other people, trying to build themselves up. When they're talking about being a sinner or not, they say, well, I haven't killed anybody. I'm, I'm not a serial killer. I haven't blown anybody up. I haven't done anything like that, so I'm pretty good. You're comparing yourself to other people. Just because you're a little better than this person over here who was a serial killer doesn't mean that you're able to enter God's kingdom. We've said before, God's standard is perfection. Last verse in Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 5, by Britakadasha in the New Testament, by Sefer Matai in, in the book of Matthew, by Peter Chamesh chapter 5, last verse says, Jesus said, You are therefore to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, Jesus knew that you and I couldn't be perfect, but there was a lot of people that thought that they were perfect, that thought that they were without sin. And they kept trying to be without sin, and the Pharisees trying to keep the law all the time, and many of the Jewish people trying, and they, even the Jewish people were frustrated that they couldn't keep all those hundreds and hundreds of things every day, every second of every day. The Sheshmot Shloshes Mitzvot, the 613 commandments, that the Jewish rabbis think that the Torah says to do or not to do. And people get frustrated. They couldn't keep it every second of every day of their life. And if they ever failed, they were classified as a sinner. And they failed and they were now a sinner who had sinned. I see the people, I see the Jewish young men trying to read their little book with the list of the 613 commands. And they're trying to memorize them and they can't even memorize them all. They can't remember them all. And even if you could remember them all, it doesn't mean you do them all all the time. So people were bitter. 
And some people, when they see all of these things and rabbis tell them, oh, you have to do this. You have to do this also. And you have to do that and that and that. In fact, here's a book of all the things you have to do. And you have to do them all the time. And if you don't, you're a sinner. Wait a minute. That doesn't make a person closer to God. You know what that does? That makes a person bitter against God. That makes a person disagree with God. They think that God is requiring them to do that. So they turn their back on God and they walk away from God. I'm here to tell you, my brother and sister today, if you're Israeli, Imatai Yehudi, if you know what I'm saying and you're Jewish, you know that you can easily be bitter by trying to keep all these things. But I'm here to tell you, God is not the one requiring you to do this. God gave you the law with all those things so that you would turn to him and ask for his mercy, realizing that you could never keep all those things. So when the rabbis try to tell you how righteous they are and that and you have to be that way, remember that when you're not looking and other people are not looking, they have their own problems, just like you have yours. They need forgiveness, too, because they have sin, too. In fact, the Tanakh, Gama Brita all of the Bible, Old Testament and New, says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Two times in the book of Psalm, once in the book of Isaiah, God looked all across the earth to see if there was any righteous, any that sought him all the time and really sought after righteousness. And in each of those three verses, twice in the book of Psalms, once in the book of Isaiah, God said, and he found none, no, not one. Well, you see, that's a problem. Because the kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. You can't have 49% of your life in sin, 51% doing good things, and think that you're going to be allowed in the kingdom of heaven. Because God is perfect. And the kingdom of heaven is where His throne is. The throne of the great king, the holy one of Israel is what He's called in the Tanakh. The righteous and holy God. And He cannot look at sin. And he must judge sin. So he will destroy sin if it comes into his kingdom, into his presence. He didn't want you to be destroyed. He created you in his image. It says in Genesis chapter 1, he created man, male and female. He created them in the image of God. He created them. It says he created you in his image. He wanted you to be his children. He doesn't want you to be destroyed when he judges sin. That's why he sent his son, his only begotten son, to, to be the kippur, the kapara, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, the, our sins were paid for on the cross of the Messiah, where he gave his life for us, just like the Passover lamb was used to provide forgiveness for the sins of the people. And God had said, Al-Pesach, he had said about Passover that in chapter 12 of the book of Exodus, when I see the blood, when I see the blood on the doorpost of your house, I will pass over that house in judgment. Not just any blood. God said it was to be the blood of a spotless, blemish-free lamb. You see what I'm saying? Jesus, the Messiah, 
the Son of God, came to give his life as the atoning sacrifice. He's the true Lamb of God. And as he hung on the cross, having never sinned himself, because God became a man and lived among us, he can do that. He's God. He can do anything he wants to. He chose to give his life knowing that death couldn't hold him because he didn't have any sins of his own. And he took our sins upon himself so that we would be forgiven and he would be that Passover lamb who died for the sins of all of Israel. All of the sins of the world. All of the sins of the Gentiles as well. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So when you show up at the gates of the kingdom of heaven, God will not look at your record and say, oh, well, you did this when you were 14 and, and when you were 23 and, oh, when you were 37, you did this. And the list just goes on and on and on of all your sins. God doesn't open that up. When you believe on his son, he says, your sins, though they are many, are forgiven because my son died for you and you believed on my son. Hamashiach, the Messiah, Yeshua Hamashiach. Jesus the Christ. And he says, come into my kingdom because you are now perfectly righteous, not because of any works of righteousness that you have done, but because of the blood and love and grace of my son, the Messiah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever, me, you, us, Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the love of God. That's what God is really like. He's not trying to make you bitter about serving him. When you see what he's done for you, love swells up inside of you for him. And that's the love he wants. That's the worship he wants. And he wants you to enter into his kingdom. He loved you so much. He wanted to make a way for you to have your sins forgiven so that you can enter his kingdom and be with him forever and have everlasting life in the most beautiful, unimaginably beautiful place. You can't even comprehend what it's like. He loves you that much. And he wants you to be with him in his kingdom. Where I cannot see Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. When you believe on his son, you become a child of God. And your home is the kingdom of heaven. But the other people who try to always make themselves appear better than other people, they try to build themselves up trying to appear better, bigger, higher than others. They look down their nose at other people. They build those towers up for their own authority. They build their own reputation up. And they try to present themselves as someone smarter than everybody else. Someone that has authority and the other people are just way down there. And they don't even want to deal with those people. They want those people to look up at them and be in awe of that person way up there on that tower. Oh, that's Rabbi so-and-so. He's done this and he's done that. 
that. Look how high his tower is. He's built his tower to the heavens. Look how high he is. I'm not as good as him. I'm just way down here. Oh, and that other person up there, pastor so-and-so or rabbi so-and-so, look at how high they built their towers. Don't be deceived. Those persons may have high towers in their reputations that they built in life. But inside, God knows their sins just like he knows yours. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And everyone needs the forgiveness of the Savior. Everyone needs the atoning sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Yeshua HaMashiach. And when you believe on him and confess him before men, your sins are covered. Your sins are not even taken into consideration anymore. When God sees you, He doesn't see all your shortcomings. The ones in the past or even the ones from today, even the ones from a minute ago, even the ones five minutes from now. He doesn't see all of those anymore. He sees the covering blood of His righteous Son, the Son of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. And He says, He's mine. He may have had some problems before, but now all those sins have been judged and atoned for because my son took his punishment on himself. Therefore, I don't have to punish this person anymore. I can love him and he can be with me forever. The Bible calls when you exalt yourself, the Bible calls that pride. That's one of the most serious sins there is. That's why Satan was cast out of heaven. Pride. In the book of Proverbs, God says that pr the proud will fall. He says that he will bring down the proud, but that he will lift up those who are humble. We should be telling people to look at God instead of telling them to look at us. Instead of saying, look at what I've done, you want to be saying, look at what God has done. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on the Lord Most High the eyes off of ourselves and put them on God. The scriptures say that God will not share His glory with another. If you're trying to get some of the glory for yourselves by being a Bible teacher, you better get right with God. Because even though you may know the words to say, you are not right with God. He will not share His glory with another. For His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So instead of building a tower for yourself, tear it down. Build humility instead. That's what the Tanakh says in, in uh, Micah, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. In the Tanakh it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants for you. Remember, God says He will lift up the humble, but He will bring the proud low. Let the glory of God be the tower over your life. Lift up your head. Look to the Lord as the maker and keeper and provider for your life. Now we're going to go on real quickly through verse 5. It says in verse 5 of chapter 11 in the book of Genesis, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they have all one language. And this is what they begin to do in their rebellion against God, you see. 
Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them, he says in verse 6. So in verse 7, look at how he's talking to the other members, the Holy Spirit and the Son. And he says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, or confusion, if you will. That's what it means. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of all the earth. Now, I want you to notice something. You may remember in Genesis 1, where Genesis 1, 26, where God said, Let us make man in our own image. That Rashi, the uh, Hebrew commentator, or the Jewish commentator from the 12th century, Rashi ha was having a problem when Christians debated Jewish people. They were having a problem because it seemed that Genesis 1:26, when God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, okay, Rashi had a problem because Christian debaters were winning those debates because it made it look like there really was one God that was somehow three in one. Not three gods, but three somehow in one. And basically, as I always say, does God have to be just like you? Can he be different than you? What about those creatures before his throne that have four faces? One face is this way, one this way, one this way, and one back behind. They have six wings, two cover their feet, two cover their eyes, and two they fly with. And these creatures are before the throne of God. Tell me, you who understand how God exists, how many minds do those creatures have? Four, one, three, two? What is it? You understand God, you think? You don't understand God. You see, He's infinite, and He's unlike you or I, and He is higher than you and I, as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are higher, His thoughts are higher, and He is higher than our thoughts, as the heavens are above the earth. In other words, you cannot understand God. If the Scripture teaches that He is one God, Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad, I agree, I understand that. He is one God, but the scripture also says in other places where he's talking to himself. And here again, Rashi said in Genesis 1, 26, oh, he was talking to the angels saying, let, let us make man in our own image. The problem is, is the very next verse after that in Genesis 1, 27 says that, and the Lord God, he made man in his own image. And He made them in the image of God, in the likeness of God. He created them. He, 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 not they, they, they. So this would have been the first time in the book of Genesis in chapter 1 where God said, let something happen, and it did not happen exactly as He said. If Rashi's interpretation is true, and it's not. God was speaking to the other members of the Godhead. He is one God, but He exists in a way that you and I cannot comprehend. And the scripture teaches both of these are true. He is not three gods. He is one God, but He exists in a way that is far different 
than you and I can comprehend. And now in verse 7 of chapter 11, he says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. He's saying, come let us go down. This is God commanding for this to happen. This is God saying, let us go down, right? Do we agree? Verse 7 says, come let us go down there and confuse their language. And this is God speaking, right? Come let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. But do not stop there. Please look at verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Hmm. Once again, just like Genesis 1, he's saying, let us do something, and then it turns out only he did it. That could only be consistent. That could only be true. That could only work to where both verses are accurate if God is somehow Three in one. Come let us go down there and confuse their language. And then it says, so the Lord scattered them. The Lord, singular, let us, plural, the Lord, singular, come let us go down there and confuse their language. So the Lord, singular, scattered them. That's pretty clear to me. You may not understand it. You may not like it because your rabbis may have told you different. But listen, why don't you learn to read the Bible on your own? As you can see from our journeys through the Bible now, you can understand it. I mean, I admire the men of God who try to understand the Scripture. But when they have their own things that they're doing, when it becomes more about authority and building their tower, when it becomes more about money and how much people uh, praise you and give you glory then that's the wrong motivation. You need to return to the Bible. You need to return to Devar Elohim, the Word of God. This is the Word of God, and it takes preeminence always. No man's interpretation is accurate if it does not fit with the Word of God. I don't care what that rabbi's reputation is. I don't care who else thinks highly of him. If his word disagrees with the Word of God, you better go somewhere else. And if my word ever disagrees with the word of God, you know what? You better go somewhere else. You are responsible to God. And the word of God is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he was called the word of God. The word of God is truth. And it's always been true. And it doesn't need to change if you think that, well, we live in a modern world and things are changed so we can have homosexual marriages and everything. No, the Word of God didn't change. And the Word of God was perfect then when He wrote it. And He spoke against those things and saying it was evil to do those things. And the Word of God being perfect has no reason to change. Perfection never changes. Perfection, if it changed from perfection, would be something less than perfection. Don't try to make the Word of God say what you want it to say. Believe the Word of God because it is the truth. So it says in verse 8, So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore the name of that city is called Babel. And it was called confusion. That's the meaning of Babel. But it looks like before he scattered them even, there was confusion because they were confused about what to do 
They were serving themselves instead of serving the Lord. And that will be judged. If you don't give those sins forgiven, that will be judged. So the Lord came down and he saw that city. And he confused them. Now, linguists today, people who study languages, will tell you that they're really, they don't have any idea how languages started. Because languages don't start a word at a time. It's a whole system that's got to be learned. They know from languages that exist around the world, certain sounds and certain things that are said have some similarities with other languages. And they say there's elements of what seems to be a common language that all of these languages came from a long time ago. Congratulations, you've discovered Adam and Eve. It all came from one language. And scientists today who are linguists, study languages for a living, the experts in this, say that it's an incredible thing that has happened. All these languages that exist seem like they came from a single language at some point way back in the past. And God confused those languages of all the earth and took the people to different locations. They weren't concerned about building that city anymore. They weren't concerned about building that tower anymore. They had to find a cave to live in for shelter. They had to find something to do to, to eat and, and fish maybe or something like that until they had some crops planted and had some seasons go past that they were able to eat of the harvest of those crops. Everything changed. City of Babel. That high tower was abandoned. And if you build a high tower for yourself, you need to abandon it. God wants your heart. He doesn't want your reputation. Now, this whole account of what happened at Babel and its anti-God dictator, Nimrod, whom we talked about before, its organized rebellion against God, its direct distrust of God's promise, shows that God was going to do something to correct man's path. Man was going down the wrong way. Man thought that his own Wisdom was enough and that he could build a better life for himself than God could. Now, that hasn't changed through the centuries. Through the hundreds and thousands of years, that hasn't changed since the flood. Oh, yeah, time, progress, government, organizations have added wealth and possessions and technologies to a man's life. But they've only made life hollow and shallow. Have you noticed that? People don't seem as deep in their understanding and wisdom today as they were a few years back and a few years before that. Everything is about what they see on television. You see despicable behavior and absolute stupidity sometimes on television. And entire generations are being raised up watching that stuff. And they end up thinking, well, that must be life. That's what everybody's like. Oh, no, that's not what people are like. But you are having your mind just totally erased and brainwashed into thinking that that's what life is. You were called to something far higher. You were called to something far more noble. There's a reason why you're different than all the other creatures on the earth. 
You were created in the image of God, and that is very, very, very special. The true purpose of life and your reason for existence is not to collect junk. No, you were made to know God and to make him known. When you finally give your life over to him, your life will no longer be bitter. It will truly be better. And now God is going to begin to make man better. And as he always does, he'll start with the man who will do his will even if that man is not perfect. And with that, next week we get into the story of Abraham and another beginning in the book of beginnings, the beginning of the Yehudim, of the Jewish people, Amisrael. You don't want to miss this message next week, especially if you're Jewish. It tells you about your heritage, about your beginnings, and about the God who called you to himself no matter what you've learned in life. Put it all aside. Look at what God's Word says. Don't miss next week's message. Bring a friend with you as well. It's going to be special. As we continue our journey through the book of beginnings, Hosef a better sheep, the book of Genesis. Amen? Now, why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to him, he'll hear that cry. He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness, that trial that you're in. And he'll shine his light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. Clean slate. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away. You'll be made completely new, a new start. And he'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something like this. Just repeat after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I do believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, I want to tell you something. If you prayed that prayer, God Almighty heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God is making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about God and His Word every day. Talk to him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life 